This is Risky Women Radio, a show that connects, celebrates and champions women in risk, regulation and compliance. We're here to share the insights on the biggest issues in our industry and hear inspiring journeys from our global members. Sign up to our newsletter at riskywomen.org. I'm Kimberly Cole, your Chief Risky Woman. Welcome to Creativity's Risky Women podcast. My name is Kim Dickerson, and I'm the Global Head of Operations and Technology at Protivity. I'm joined today with Star McDade, Senior Vice President, Audit Services at USAA. Star, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really glad to have you with us. So let's jump in, because I know we have a lot to talk about. When executives think about risk and assurance professionals, they sometimes think that the role is a necessary evil. Um, but you've been working to change that. Share with us how you've been doing that. So we've been working to change that by focusing on how do we add value and adding value in the way that our stakeholders define value. So a lot of times we come in and say, we've done our audit work, we've checked the box. Now, uh, you know, here's the value. We take it from the perspective of um, how do they see, see value? And I think it's value in the way that we work but then also value in the way that we communicate our results. So um, using that seat at the table to ensure that we fully understand what is important for them and communicating it back out. So I'd say, for example, you can do formal routes like testing strategic risks. So what is your strategy? What uh, risks exist that might limit you to be able to achieve that? Um, Or advisory work where you're taking... um, hours away from an external firm and doing it on behalf of the company or informal things like um, happy accidents. We've had a a team once in a walkthrough just say, hey, why isn't this button clicked on a particular system? And um, ultimately found out that that button was connected to some uh, supplemental accounts that fees should have been charged on that weren't charged on. And ultimately it ended up um, providing tens of millions of dollars each year for the, the bottom line because the auditor just asked a question going in to understand and see what's there as opposed to just checking the boxes for what we needed to do. So um, there's ways that we can get through that, but it's really focusing on what is valuable to management to help drive that. So you've been talking about moving from activity-based work to more value-added work. How do you work to shift the mindset of your team uh, to really focus on not just completing tasks, but advising on risk management and providing other types of meaningful work? If they're trained to, to get through their work papers or trained to try to get through their their individual audit work, how do you shift that mindset to more of that advisory, more of that value-added work? So part of it is helping them understand that it's really just one extra step. You're still going to do the same testing that you were doing before. The likelihood that your test plan and the procedures will change is, is low. It's just taking the step forward and connecting it to what's meaningful for management. So that way, when you communicate out your conclusions, it's not just I provided assurance over these controls, but I provided over assurance over these controls that will support you in achieving these strategic objectives. Oh, and by the way, X, Y, and Z 
you might want to consider if you want to accelerate or if you want to limit disruption or, or, or what have you. Um, I'd say on the other side, it's recognizing that for some auditors, it feels dirty. It feels like there's a line that you're crossing. And part of that is what in 2020, the IA just removed defense from the three lines model. And so it's a journey. It takes time for folks to go away from the focus on defense and preserving value to uh, the increased emphasis on creating value, which is what that change was meant to do. And so that alignment, the coordination, the collaboration that is now expected between first, second, and third line is newer, whereas we were focused primarily on how do we collaborate, communicate, connect with the, the board from an external perspective. And so it's helping folks to recognize that it is different. It is a change, but we should be adopting it. So that way we're supporting the success of the overall enterprise and not as a separate, distinct uh, unit. Right? And when I was in a, a public company, I used to always say, we're all operating for the same share price, right? We're not a different company. That's awesome. Do you find management um, receptive to that type of information or do you find uh, them challenging you giving that kind of advisory support? I'd say that when we first started off having the conversation saying, we're going to provide you with value add, uh, it wasn't much challenge because they didn't believe us. They didn't think we knew what, what was <laughs> happening in their business or uh, even across the industry. And as we started to identify things and provide them with things, they started asking for audit to be in the room more. They started calling us more. They started asking for advice more because they recognize that we show up not just as the risk and control business partner, but an executive or leader within the company that has a 360 degree view of the company. And so sometimes we understand what one business unit is doing versus the other and can connect them to learn upon and share from their own lessons learned, right? You don't have to fail at something if someone in the business unit, you know, next to you just went through that. And so those small things help to shift them a bit. But the, the times that you do have a, an example or two where you can provide um, where audit has identified something or help to mitigate something in particular that's connected to their strategic goals and objectives, those stories, just kind of championing those over, help to um, to get management on board. But I'd say to like your earlier question, though, it's still harder to get the the auditors on board than the management per se, because um, there's no risk of management of getting additional value, right? Because they already know we have to be there, and so that's just an added bonus for them. It's just getting the auditors to take the extra step to be able to uh, translate what we do into value for our business partners. Yeah, it's a journey for sure. Um, so you go in, um, you're, you're conducting your procedures, you're doing your walkthroughs. Sometimes I think um, you find yourself as a, as a risk and assurance professional in a place where you are questioning, maybe even challenging a business strategy. Um, and I know that can be a pretty sensitive area to broach. Um, risk doesn't typically implement or develop a business strategy. And so uh, when you're talking to a first line leader, uh, I think sometimes they can think what you don't know what this is like. I own this strategy. I've put this strategy together and, and you're questioning it from a place uh, that you don't understand. Do you think it's your responsibility to question strategy when you're assessing risk? 
And if you do, what do you think qualifies you um, or, or any risk professional uh, to assess risk or to assess business strategy when you're assessing risk? I definitely think it's something that we, we should be doing. We should be doing every time, especially those um, areas that are the big bets for the organization, for the enterprise. And I almost feel like it's too risky not to. Right. I, I won't name names, but there are many companies whose business strategies had gaps, had flaws that were obvious, not even Monday morning quarterback obvious, but just very clear. And they're not around anymore. Or they're not the industry leader anymore. Or they're not the leader in that product or service that they used to be because they were a little bit myopic or just didn't have that independent objective voice that they could trust in the room to challenge that strategy. And so I'd say it's too risky not to do it. And from a um, second, third line perspective, I'd say those are the, the groups that probably are best positioned to do it because of their view across the organization, because of their expertise in risk identification, risk mitigation, remediation strategies. And so it, it's one of those where we can come to the table with here are the risk and you not being able to achieve your objectives. Here's some recommendations that you might consider uh, like otherwise, or at least information that you have to be able to, to make those um, decisions to, to get there. And I think that um, perspective would be helpful for them. Um, the, the piece around, you know, you've got done, I've had several business partners say, well, you've never managed a P&L. How are you gonna tell me where my resources should go? It's really more about, you know, leaning in on the opportunity cost piece too. And so if you don't do this, this is what I see as the risk, right? So regardless of if I've actually executed it myself, it's it's my job to understand not only what you do, but how you do it and um, connect with others externally to be able to, to provide that type of advice. And so it, it's not always about having had to do it. It's just understanding everything around it to be able to provide you with that, that information. So. Yeah, I, I like that. I, I think it's, it's the role of assurance partners to um, evaluate risk across the board. Right. And your point is a really valid one. There's a lot of really great companies that had uh, what they thought to be great business strategies that are no longer in business. Somebody has to say it. Right. This episode is brought to you by Protivity. Protivity is a global consulting firm with deep expertise in transformation, risk management, and compliance. Partner with Protivity and face the future with confidence. Okay, so switching gears a little bit, um, you've made the transition from banking to insurance. Tell us a little bit about that transition and some of the lessons you've learned about the differences in those two industries. So the transition for me hasn't been too challenging. I'm now at an insurance company that, um, or insurance holding company that actually has a bank. And so um, I get to use some of what I've had before and, and learn new about what's sitting here. Um, I think the biggest transition is the um, insurance products, services, as well as the oversight from the various state um uh, regulators. And so understanding how do you risk assess um, when you have such a, a broad coverage from a regulatory expectations and uh, following in on the, the model rule from an NAIC perspective. So learning those pieces. Um, I, I would say, though, that the, the 
thing that kind of makes it easier from a transition perspective is just understanding from a, um, a customer or for where we are now, a member uh, perspective, their what the expectations are. And it's not much deviation because of this technology over the last few years. So customer expectations are, are pretty much the, the same, right? And you think about the top risk that would exist, like cyber are, are pretty much the same. So it's really understanding the, the products and services and how you deliver on your customer expectations and then how do you protect the overall environment and the risk. Yeah, um, regulatory risk is one of those things that um, definitely keeps all of us on our toes. Um, and, you know, I, I think just generally speaking, the world is just an increasingly risky place right now. I think new technologies makes emerging risk and a really important topic. How do you and your teams assess emerging risks? So part of it is ongoing continuous and business monitoring. And so we participate in management um, committee meetings, forums, what have you. We review management reports to understand what's happening on a day-to-day -day basis. But then we also make sure that we're tapped into the external community. So whether it's um, industry conferences, forums from an audit perspective, a risk perspective, or the business products and services perspectives, reading, research, right? So it, it's essentially living it, right? You can't work nine to five and then do, you know, not think about it outside. So it's really understanding. I think the thing that makes it easier for, for a lot of us is that a lot of the products and services we offer are required until we all have it, right? And so um, I was talking to a new hire the other day about, you know, getting ready for an audit that she's working on. And it was easy to say, do you have car insurance? Yes, she does. And so like, how does that happen? What's that experience for you? What are you thinking about? What are you looking at? Um, did you get approved? Were you happy with the rate? So those types of things make it an, an easier kind of common sense approach for, for folks to think about the stuff that they should be looking at externally and just translating that to all of the other things that we do. Thank you for that. Um, thinking about some of your uh, third-party service provider partners, what is some of the advice you rely on them to give you and how is that relationship or those relationships most beneficial to you? So I think what we rely upon our third party business partners uh, the most for is um, uh, relevant information, right? And so I can say, oh, I used to do this or I used to do that. But um, once you're with a company, uh, a year or two, it's stale. It's all stale. No matter how much of an expert you think you are, it, it's stale. And so the third parties help us to do benchmarking, whether it's formal or informal, to question some of the things that we might have um, to, in a, an appropriate way, but understand the differences or the things that we should be thinking about and the questions that we might want to ask. And so if you go back to the question we had earlier about strategic risk, um, there might be some space for the third party to help us understand the other areas or other organizations that may have been successful or not in particular areas to ask the right question. Um, I think it also helps with a uh, supplement of staff. So if there's a new product or service that we didn't have and we might not have expertise internally, if you want it done quickly, correctly, um, with the perspective of some prior experience, then you can bring in um, subject matter experts to help kind of craft the test plan or the approach and to help 
the auditors build that credibility with management in those new areas? The way we work today is really different uh, from the way we've worked pre-COVID. Um, for those of us who work in uh, apprenticeship models where we benefit from working in teams, we benefit from working, um, having our junior resources work with our more experienced people um, in environments where we have multiple generations of workers working together. How do you develop talent um, in today's working environment where many of us are working in hybrid environments? Um, what does that look like for you at USAA now? So I think it's operating from, an, from a place where you recognize that ignorance is not bliss. And so you need to know what your people need uh, where they need it, how they need it, and what shifts need to be made. And then make sure that your folks also understand what the expectations are uh, from a leadership perspective. So what, uh, who needs to be in office and when and, and what the benefits are there. I think that many organizations uh, started from a place of we're going to be in office X days a week or Y days a week. Um, and because we said so, right? And I think that a lot of folks uh, kind of had to step back and say, well, let me show why, show the value proposition why. So that way uh, folks, whether they were here before or they were hired during COVID or after, understand the benefits from that. And, um, and sometimes it's spending a little more time and effort on those engagement activities to bring folks back to the office. Um, at USAA, there are... Well, I started during COVID, but I was told about all of these amazing things that exist on the different campuses from, you know, Chick-fil-A and, 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 and other things and dry cleaning and all kinds of stuff, right? And so it's not my expectation for those things to exist, whereas it might be for other colleagues. And so it's about communicating, explaining what the value proposition is, and then also taking advantage of that. Right. So if you tell folks to come back into the office, then you can't have meetings that are virtual where everyone's sitting in the office. Right. So get up and walk over there. Um, I think that here we've done a, a great job at helping folks understand that you um, statistically work less if you come into the office. Right. So while you might have that commute time and that uh, expense for commute reintroduced into your life, um, you will spend less time. You'll have more work-life balance if you come into the office. And then you can build those kind of, I call them motley crews. So those crews of, of, of folks that you would have never thought, you know, why are you going to lunch with this person or, or this person? Or how did you even build this relationship, right? You bump into folks in the office. You kind of pop in in the office. And that's how we get stuff done. And, and as humans, to be most efficient and effective, especially in the types of roles that we have, like you said, that apprenticeship type of role, you need to hear and see and feel what's going on and everything can't be done via email or via scheduled meeting. If I think about the last time someone just randomly popped into my Zoom meeting that was uninvited, it's never happened, right? <laughs> but physically it happens every day and, and we welcome it and we benefit from it. So it's just helping folks understand it and recognize that our new normal is different than it was before, but it still needs to work in a way that we can all be successful. Agree. So what advice would you give to a young woman starting her career in risk management today? 
I would say um, understand what it is that you're doing. So what area that you're, you're going into and have a perspective of your own, whether or not others agree with it, but have a perspective so that way you can shape it. And I'd say asking why is going to be your friend. So however is most comfortable for you to say it, I'm a direct person. So I'm just going to say, Kimberly, why? <laughs> others might say, help me understand or take me on a journey, whatever, however you translate it, but get comfortable in asking why, because that's when you're going to find the root cause of things. That's when you're going to get the true understanding. And that's when you're going to understand if you're talking to the right person. Right. No, that's right. I think back on my career and I think I was probably mid twenties when I knew that there was a profession called consulting. Um, when did you first learn about the risk and assurance profession? Um, or maybe you knew about this and wanted to become an auditor when you were a child. How did you get on this path? Yeah, definitely not that. I was, <laughs> I was in college and I was a human resource management major. And the dean had called me into the office because they were eliminating human resource management as a major. And I was just like, well, I don't know what else I'm going to do. My mom was in HR, so I'm going to be in HR. Um, and so I had an A in accounting and he said, you're going to major in accounting and you're going to go to a public accounting firm and they're having information sessions on campus, go to the information session. And they had, you know, good food and um, when Arthur Anderson was around. And so you know, they spent a lot of money. It's like fancy dinner. So I was like, oh, I, I could probably do this. Um, and I think going to one of the, uh, the first, after graduating, I went to, uh, to PwC and, and getting there, I think my first week or so, um, it was just like, oh, okay, this is the world of, of consulting. I often felt like I am a, um, a child that they have given responsibility to. And now all of these folks at the, at the client have to listen to me. They have to listen to what it is that I'm saying. And so now the pressure's on me is to close that learning curve to ensure that what I'm telling them makes sense, right? And, and being able to use your team to, to learn and to develop, which is which was a challenge for me because I used to depend on myself and my own research and, and shifting to that team environment was, was fun. It was worth it, but you're right. Consulting is a, a different world uh, for a, a special type of person. So but <laughs> you and I both took that route. So we got to meet each other. <laughs> Indeed. And then, so how did you make your way from con the consulting world into industry? So I actually was going back to school to get my PhD in corporate strategy. And so I decided to take a year off and I was just going to go work somewhere where there weren't words like high performance environment in the interviews, uh, where I could feel like, well, you know, in public accounting folks used to say you could go to industry and you'd be bored by, you know, half of the day because we're used to so much change and challenge. And so I thought I would take one of those jobs, save up some money for a year. And um, in doing that, I found a very um, lax and comfortable culture that was extremely challenging in the, the content and the work and the expectations of the folks. And so I ended up staying there for 12 years. <laughs> and um, yeah, just like did not go back to school, fell in love with with audit or the ability to, to contribute. 
and 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 you know show a different face of, of audit, if you will. Not a bunch of accountants with green visors, but a bunch <laughs> of fixers, if you will. And so, yeah, still That's here. Awesome. So, if we talk to the people you work most closely with, and we ask them, "What is Star's superpower?" What would they say? Um, that's funny. Someone told me this. <laughs> uh, connecting the dots. So uh, for some reason, folks think that I seem to be able to connect dots in a magical way and that um, I can answer the question that's been asked in, in a succinct way. Um, I don't think it's a really superpower. I think I just listen, right? I just listen actively. It's a like my my uncles and my like mentors, what have you, the thing that folks always say is um, listen more than you speak. And so I tend to do that. And when you listen, you can actually hear what people are asking for or what folks are saying. Um, and then it just makes it easier to connect the dots. So it might seem like I'm you know, super smart, but in actuality, I'm just listening to what people are saying. Yeah, it's a it's a underused talent for sure. <laughs> There's a report in 2019 from the AICPA um, that said that only 2% of CPAs in the U.S. were Black. Um, that was actually up from prior years, unfortunately. How's that impacted your career? How has it changed how you approach your career? Has it? So I'd say I've definitely had challenges. Um, like as a woman, for sure, I, I doubt it's different than other women that you you've had on um, things like the client assuming that, you know, the male that's with you who might be more junior is the leader or the decision maker just because you're a woman. Um, but I do believe that there's some unique challenges that come at that intersectionality of um, being black and being a woman. Uh, things like people asking to touch my hair or. Um, we had a, a CPA workshop once where we were volunteering and doing taxes for the local community. And my colleagues continue to ask me, you know, am I ready to go? Like I was there to um, get my taxes done as opposed to performing the work for, for others and volunteering for others. Um, so, you know, things like that. But I'd say the, the biggest thing for me was having to trick my leaders over the years into gifting me with constructive feedback. So we all know that constructive feedback is what helps us grow, what helps us get to the next level, which helps us um, uh, develop, right? And, you know, sometimes there's a unconscious or maybe even conscious bias against Black women. We're loud, we're aggressive. And so why would you want to give someone like that feedback? And me, I'm six foot tall, dark skin, big hair. So I just add to the, the, the stereotypes, right? And so if you tell her something bad, what's going to happen? And so I spent a lot of time helping folks become comfortable or overcome those biases. I used to make up things that I knew that I was not doing wrong. So that way they would have to be like, no, 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 you're doing that right, but you're doing this, right? So tricking folks into getting that constructive feedback and, and hopefully helping to shape the way that they thought about um, giving feedback to Black women. So that way we could continue to grow and develop just as, as well as others. How do you create that safe space within USAA um, that creates a culture of psychological safety for Black and brown people on your teams? 
So I think it's just being open about it, right? And and focusing on the concept of, of belonging, right? So one of our core values is we, we foster belonging for our core leadership behaviors. We foster belonging and recognizing that people feel like they don't belong when they're new when they're going through challenges or when they're underrepresented. And so if you're speaking about it more broadly where everyone can recognize there was a time where they didn't belong and it's not just about, you know, black people, Hispanic people, women or what have you, it, it, it makes it less other and more so, uh, you know, all of us and making it an expectation that my leaders um, build that, uh, or build empathy as a leadership competency to be able to identify those things. And so if you haven't felt uncomfortable this week or this month, then you're doing it wrong. Because that means someone on your team has been because you haven't looked for those things. You haven't seen those things. So it, it's focusing on that to create that environment and calling it out, right? So that it's not so uncomfortable. So I'll give examples. I'll say things, just being vulnerable with the team. So that way they understand that you know, there's a space that we have to make and it has to be intentional. It's just not gonna happen on its own. And that if you are failing at it, it's not because you're racist or sexist or ageist, right? It's because you're not doing what you need to do as a leader and asking the questions or challenging yourself so that you create that environment. So it can't always be golf outings. It can't always be dinner at this place. Right. And you want to always be happy what's there. I've sat through, you know, events that I don't want to go through, uh, go to or go through. Right. But if you are making it inclusive of everyone, then then you have to do something that's uncomfortable for yourself. And you might find, you know, new and interesting things. But once folks are comfortable, then they'll deliver. Right. So if you're ultimately trying to win to achieve your goals and you need to build the best team and the best team is a diverse team. So it's just making it clear that there's an expectation for leaders to deliver on building the best teams, which are diverse teams, but also providing them with the tools so that way they feel comfortable and uh, create an environment where everyone belongs. That's awesome. There's a saying, uh, no risk, no reward. Talk to me about uh, the most significant personal risk you've taken so far in your career. So. I, one of my aunts, my aunt Marilyn always says, ask for what you want. Otherwise people think you have what you need. And mm -hmm. so even very early on in my career, I just asked for stuff. Um, what can you tell me? No. And so <laughs> <laughs> at some point they don't necessarily feel like huge risks for me, but I'm told that they are. Um, I, I'd say then the biggest one is probably my transition from Houston to New York. So um, I was in Houston working in um, banking capital markets from the audit perspective, but um, I wanted to do more on the investment management side. So I had a couple of mutual fund clients, but there's not a lot. It's mainly an oil and gas town. And so I'd asked um, a senior partner that was visiting from New York what opportunities existed for me to go to New York, L.A., Chicago or Kansas City, which is where the, the big accounts were. And so I got an opportunity to do a rotation in, in New York City, working between New York and Greenwich on um, hedge fund, private equity, and um, uh, like government investment pools, which was different from my very proper, you know, heavily SEC overseen mutual fund space. Um, and so it was, it was a big risk to, to go cross country, to um, work on different teams from a place where I was known as a, a high performer. So this is my brand and my reputation. 
to go cross country, but it was it was worth it. I ended up staying there for several years before um, going on to American Express. So that's awesome. That's awesome. So are you up for some rapid fire questions? Sure. <laughs> okay. All right. First one. What's your go-to karaoke song? Uh, probably Little Red Wagon by Miranda Lambert. <laughs> okay. In one word, describe what you love about what you do. Um, change. What is the last hobby or activity you picked up just for fun? Um, it's tiling. What is that? Tiling. So like um, tiling, kitchen floor. Oh, that's awesome. We're going to have to come back around to that one. <laughs> okay. Marvel or DC Comics Heroes? Um, I'm going to say Marvel because I'm not familiar with DC. <laughs> There's a lot of Marvel on Netflix. So. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Favorite season? I like fall. Like fall and spring where boots and, and blazers. There you go. And the best advice someone has ever given you? Um, listen more than you speak. There you are. Star, thank you so much for being here with me today. It has been my absolute pleasure to spend time with you. And that is our Risky Women podcast for today. Thank you all for joining. Thank you for listening to this episode of Risky Women Radio. Be part of the ongoing conversation and learn more about our events and other programs at riskywomen.org.